When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your etiquette questions about accepting compliments about your dog, how to act as the new neighbor, wedding guests wanting to bring their own guests, and whether or not to give a wedding gift when you've contributed your skill to the wedding. Plus, your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and part two of our two-part postscript segment on the myth of how Emily's book etiquette came to be. For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, your extra question of the week is about not assuming you're on the B list for a wedding. Sustaining members can listen to your ads-free version of the show with its extra question by downloading it at awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. And it's almost the 4th of... Not really. It's not really almost the 4th of July, but by the time the show comes out, it will almost be the 4th of July. It's after the solstice. It's so after we're the in solstice. the window between solstice and 4th of July. So it feels like the next thing coming is I the 4th of it. July. I dig it. And by the time this show lands, it will be almost the 4th of July. Yes. And your hometown does something kind of fun. They celebrate like a week early. <laughs> they Do they know there are so many 4th of July parades and fireworks? They have an almost independence day celebration (laughs) that's kind of become an event people know to come to town about a week early what do they do they plan their whole fourth of july weekend a week early to come visit friends and family in waterbury silly what does the town do (laughs) classic small town america there is a parade and i'm putting the quotation marks around parade because it's it's tractors and a few antique cars that is a parade that is totally a parade. There's no quotes needed. That's a parade. Your cousin as a Rotarian handing out hard candy as we walk down Main ah, Street. Very cool. Very cool. Well, yes. That'll be fun. Looking forward to it. In fact, again, by the time this show airs, we will have just done that. Does the family get to walk as well? Or will Anisha and Pooj be kind of on the sidelines catching candy and waving and cheering people on? Number two. Number two. Gotcha. Very cool. Very cool. I know that we're talking about forward events, but I want to go back for a minute because you've now married three people, technically six, when you married yourself. <laughs> How do you say this when you're you are a online ordained officiant? Right? Is that how you do it? Or a certified officiant? Are you not ordained, Dan? How does it work? Can you please stop me from guessing everything? <laughs> I have had the great honor and privilege of being asked to participate in three wedding ceremonies as officiant. As officiant. And different states have different rules around what qualifies you to do that. And this last wedding that I got to participate in, got to be an officiant for, was in the state of Virginia, which has very strict rules, which actually means technically my role as officiant wasn't the marrying act. That happened 
a day before uh, with okay, a civil gotcha. ceremony with a justice of the peace. But okay. it was also the longest, like the... most formal ceremony that I've been a part of oh, as an okay. officiant. So you're there as the ceremonial officiant, basically. Exactly. Okay. Gotcha. And I should take one great big step back and oh, okay. offer my thanks to the Donnelly and Wilson families to Caitlin and James in particular, the happy couple who are our Awesome Etiquette Podcast listeners. Ah! Hello. It's good to be finally acknowledging this very special moment to you personally from this microphone. I saw your prep notes from the day. You had really thought this out, man. I was impressed. Well, I was really impressed too. And I can say that because that was all Caitlin and James' work. They did an incredible job really playing hosts for this wedding. They did a lot of the planning and that included setting me up very well to be an officiant. And that was both bringing me into the process, giving me a lot of direction, but also doing it in a way that didn't feel pushy, demanding, or didn't completely scare me (laughs) about the job. Give me some examples. We had made an effort to get together well ahead of time as families. As, As you know, and as I should tell everyone, the Wilson and Post families, this is James Wilson's grandparents, parents, and James and his sister Kate have been friends with the Post family. three generations, that's what we're going for here. For three generations now. Our grandparents were very close. Our parents grew up near each other in Rye, New York, and then... Moved all together to kind of like to Vermont. Independently, didn't know each other had done it, but ended up living in the same small town in Vermont. (laughs) So a third generation of the family ended up growing up together. Together, yeah. to me, this was a really special event. It was an Aww. opportunity to cement those relationships, to reconnect with all those people, to imagine a fourth generation of our families continuing to know each other and grow up together. Yeah. Um, Caitlin and James had done a really good job already building out a ceremony that was the kind of ceremony that would, as your sister often says, make them feel married. Oh, I love that line so much. She was genius for coming up with that. It was very much theirs and at the same time had the elements of a ceremony that to them would formalize you and would be the kind of ceremony they would want to share with friends and family on their special day. And they shared that with me. There was enough structure there to make me feel comfortable. And then they also said, and this is where we would turn it over to you to say something or to manage how you want to get in and out of this or between these parts of the so ceremony. So what did you talk about? What did, did you talk about, like, union? I mean, you're a married man now, whereas the other two weddings you provided over, you were not married yourself yet? So I'm guessing you had some different perspective to share or or thoughts? I don't know. What I'm curious. A little bit. That was my favorite part, where I got to sort of do the, the, the part where the officiant addresses the couple. And I really tried to treat it as a an opportunity, as a moment, to, to share something with the two of them. And and granted, it's in, in front of other people, so that's that's a big part of it. But <laughs> my inspiration was to try to connect in that moment. With them. To the two yeah. of them. And they had made the decision to exchange vows and rings and, and do some other things that really formalized sure. their commitment to each other. So I didn't feel like I needed to, to do that as much as yeah. sort of thank them for bringing all all of their community together to really thank the two of them for committing to each other, but also doing it in a way that allowed all of us to be there and to participate and to share in it. Oh, very cool. Very cool. It's a very special moment. I know a lot of folks who have been certified to officiate marriages and they love the experience. They really, really love the experience. It is a lot of fun. It is a special thing. And I'd asked 
Caitlin and James if it would be okay if I thank them <laughs> on air. And they said it, it was all right. Okay, so <laughs> thank you so much, Caitlin and James, for letting me be part of your special day. And I look forward to the next time that we are all together and we can reminisce about it. Oh, I love it. I love it. I could think about weddings all day, but we have a show to do. We do have a show to do. Yes. Let's get to it. All right. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. And if you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave us a voicemail or text message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or find us on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette so that we know you'd like your question on the show. This question is about canine compliments. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I am absolutely obsessed with this podcast. Thank you for keeping etiquette alive in the modern world. Quick question. I go to the dog park a lot with my dog or pass people in my complex. People seem to think my dog is cute, which is great. But what is a nice response to, oh my goodness, your dog is so cute, or wow, beautiful dog? I didn't make the dog like I could a human. My dog is not my DNA. So I still respond with a thanks. Is there something else I can say that acts as thanks? Thanks for your help. Susie from Orlando. P.S. Come visit Disney World so I can meet you all, please. (laughs) I loved that last line. Susie, I feel you. This is so hard. Benny is, as I'm assuming your dog and Raj and our former dog, Avery, who just passed away, and and Jonah and Jesse and all dogs are the cutest dog ever. They're so lovable. But I understand what you're saying. It can feel strange to say thank you for something you didn't really have a hand in. 
But you, I also want to encourage you that just like saying I'm sorry doesn't necessarily mean you're taking on the blame and responsibility for something. It can also mean that you are offering sympathy. Saying thank you for someone offering a compliment to you about your dog or to your dog and you saying thank you on behalf is perfectly acceptable. Someone said something nice in your life and you can say thank you and have gratitude for that and feel good about it and not feel like it makes you look like you created this being that is so cute. You know, I think that it's really easy. Some sample language might be, thanks, that's very nice of you to say, or thank you, I'm biased, so it's nice for Rover to hear it from someone else, or thanks for mentioning it. I, I'm sure partial to him. <laughs> I like it because you're acknowledging and thanking for the compliment, yeah. not necessarily taking credit for the cuteness. I like, wait, Dan has a sample script in here he has to read. I'd like to take all the credit, but really, we just hang out a lot. I love that. We just hang out a lot. Like, that's me and my dog. We just hang out a lot. I was thinking about how much I like this question because, to me, it's about accepting compliments. Yes. Which is something that comes up in etiquette well beyond the dog world. And it can feel sometimes, to some people, maybe inappropriate. It's like if you have good intentions directed towards you, it can make you feel shy or like you want to deflect them or... Or like or, or like our, our reader or listeners, sometimes you just don't feel like you have ownership over them, so it doesn't feel right to accept them. Yeah, Indeed. And yet at the same time, giving compliments feels so good and yes. receiving a compliment well also makes someone feel good. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's an important part of a social exchange. And thanking someone for that compliment, I think, is a great place to start. Yeah. I think there is a balance between receiving a compliment and not dismissing it, but also receiving it in a way that seems maybe too self-absorbed or obsessed. So there is some, some middle territory that's the good so you territory. Mean what, like- Thanks, I know. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, you could jokingly say it to someone, but it would have to be the right person, you know? There is gray area rudeness on either side of the right tone here. And I don't want to say that to scare anyone, but just to acknowledge that that the mistakes are made in both of those places. I used to do that just to be funny because, like, people would say, wow, you look great today. You know, you wear a new outfit or you've got, you know, a new hairstyle or something. And I, I found myself always going to the... Oh, thank you, but and like saying all the things I didn't find good about mm-hmm. myself somehow. And I, I remember like shaking myself loose of that by doing the exact opposite. And then I had a really good friend of mine be like, because all the time then I was saying things like, thanks, I know. And I was doing it very jokingly, but she was a new friend. And she didn't realize I was joking. And she said, well, Sometimes you do seem really arrogant. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm totally kidding. I'm so sorry. Like, I don't walk around thinking I'm like, I have extremely good taste or the cat's pajamas or something like that. Like, And so you do kind of want to strike the balance and make sure that if you're playing the humor part of it, that that you're really putting enough humor into it and and laughing yourself about it. Because if you play it off too smoothly, it's going to (laughs) sound... I know. I have great taste in dogs. My dog is amazing. (laughs) Where do you groom? (laughs) Sorry. I think there is also an opportunity here to advance the conversation, that I think you receive the compliment. I think a great place to start is thanking someone for their compliment. You can personalize that thanks by acknowledging an element or component of it. I can't take a lot of credit for how he looks or I do spend a lot of time on his grooming, whatever it is. Something yeah, that, that something about, sure. But then you move on 
Do you have a dog? Is there a dog in your life? I think you can, if depending on the opportunity. Sometimes you're just passing in the hall. I was going to say, I don't. Most of the time, I don't want to stop and talk. But sometimes someone's approached you, and this is the this is the moment where the chit chat ensues. Oh, you mean this is the cute guy that I might date, and so I'm like, I would want to keep the conversation going. This is yes. <laughs> oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, I have a dog. He's not with me today, or I grew up with labs or whatever it might be and then totally you're you're beyond that compliment moment and you're into the delightful conversation that follows and lasts as long as it does i've had exactly what you're talking about even on those short moments when you're just going but you know a little kid wants to come up and say hi to your dog so you stop for a minute and you say oh do you have a doggy at home or oh do you really like doggies and then you can just move on it's okay great well have a nice day thanks for saying hi you know those are great ways to move and again that was for you know when you're talking to a child but um but there there are nice ways to have very short brief conversations and not get stuck even if you ask kind of like what Dan's saying, a follow-up question. Susie, thank you for this question about compliments. It's really nice to take a look at the positive side of etiquette and how we can keep it positive. And I am so looking forward to visiting Disney World with Anisha. Thank you for the encouragement. Well, here's something. Can't you see that I'm very busy? I have no time to play now. Go away once and for all. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Our next question comes from Hillary, and it's about being the new neighbor. Hey, y'all. My question is about moving into a new house in a new neighborhood. We are obviously the ones moving in, but is there anything we could do to introduce ourselves to our new neighbors? Is that appropriate? Could we bring over something homemade? bake some cookies, something like that, just to introduce ourselves to the neighbors and start off on the right foot. The last home we moved into, people didn't really come by and introduce themselves. So I feel like relying on them to reach out to us isn't going to give us the results that we want. Is it okay to be the people that reach out, even though we're the ones that just moved in? Thanks. It's a great question. I love that this is a proactive question. This is don't wait for people to come to you. You know, you go to the mountain. Um, I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, Hillary, you absolutely can go around and introduce whether you leave a note if someone isn't home or whether you bring a baked good with you um, is completely up to you. I do think baked good sounds like the right thing. I feel like that has the right feeling. I kept thinking, I tried to think of other things, Dan. Like I tried to think of like, a plant they could plant or a um I, I I didn't know like a candle for the home or something and everything started to feel wrong but a plate of cookies sounded really right. It was Is the, that weird? No, no it okay. was the idea that was in my mind when I saw the title of the question, heard the 
premise of the question before we got to the part where Hillary said she was thinking about making cookies and walking around to the neighbors and offering people cookies. I think that that's a great way to go for it. And you're right. Not everyone in neighborhoods these days welcomes a new neighbor with kind of the fanfare that used to happen. It's not like each day you have a new neighbor stopping by and introducing themselves. Often it happens over time. Um, I've had neighbors move in that I didn't go welcome and they never came over. And I don't think we've ever even waved at each other. And I have other neighbors that we talk every single day and we've had people come and go and do different like it's 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 you are right to think that it's different in different areas. And the one thing that you can do is to be active about it. And if you'd like to get to know your neighbors, if you feel good about going over and knocking on a door and saying hello, go do it. It is perfectly okay to go do that. It's a great way to foster community, to start to build the kind of neighborhood that you want to live in. I loved your idea of having a little note in hand that you could leave behind. It's a really good idea. You can actually introduce yourself. You share your names and your contact information or the the best ways to reach out to you. And hopefully when things arise in the neighborhood, between neighbors, whatever it is, I've lost my cat. There's going to be some construction happening. Whatever it is, it really provides an opportunity Mm -hmm. to open those lines of communication and that arrival moment is one of those great opportunities to establish those relationships, however people follow up on it. And my follow-up advice would be watch for people's cues. Like Lizzie said, people will respond in different ways. Some people will be more warm and open and interested in really being involved with neighbors and other people live more private lives. And and that's really okay. Just watch your neighbors for cues and kind of take their lead a little bit as you get to know the neighborhood. Absolutely. The other thing that you can do is you can throw a housewarming party and you can invite your neighbors if you feel comfortable inviting your neighbors to your housewarming party. And that's another great way to keep them included in things. And you're the new person coming into the neighborhood. And we always like to think that kind of the the people who've been there are sort of in the host role and that they would welcome someone and really make them feel comfortable, but also let them establish themselves within the community, right? But if that's not happening, you can assume that role and start inviting people into your world as as far and as many as you would like. There's a very traditional etiquette here from back in Emily's day where when you were new in town, you went around and presented yourself. And there was a really formal process for this. And depending on what time of day you arrived and who was home when you got there, you were either brought into the house or asked to leave a card or offered to leave a card. And there was a a whole coded secret language around the way that presenting happened and receiving happened, depending on the relationships between the parties involved. We don't live in that world anymore, but we've definitely retained elements of that. And It is completely appropriate, has always been appropriate for you to make the rounds when you're the new person in town. Hillary, we hope that you have a wonderful move to your new house. It is so much fun setting up in a new location and getting to know the neighbors. Yes, this is the house where Joey lives. Now that Joey has made friends, you don't see him looking out the window anymore. For Joey has found how much fun it is to have friends to play with. Our next question is about, well, that's nice, but no. Hey, Awesome Etiquette, I just got an email from a guest who RSVP'd to my wedding. She's not comfortable driving and has told me two of her friends will be bringing her to my event. All fine. Except then she asked if it would be all right to invite them to my party. What's a good way to say no? Absolutely not. (laughs) 
This is a classic and great question, right? A guest wants to invite other guests. What I love about the twist on this is that the guest who's not comfortable driving has been made arrangements on two other people's lives to have them drive her down. Now, we don't know. Maybe these folks were going down that way already. Maybe these are just insanely generous friends. Maybe they decide to plan a weekend, like, at the area that they're going to. I mean, we just have no idea. Maybe it takes two of them to drive this person. I know. I thought that was interesting, too. Regardless of the circumstances, what you're dealing with is a guest who's making extra efforts despite their comfort levels to make it to your big event and Mm -hmm. celebrate you. And then they're doing something impolite by asking if they can bring extra guests. You are right that you have no obligation to say yes to this, that people, guests are on their own for figuring out how to get to a wedding. And it's not your obligation to thank the people that get them there um, by inviting them to the wedding. I think that you really want to keep your attitude positive when you're thinking about this. And, And think about the fact that your friend is going to extra lengths, even though it's her issue, she's going to extra lengths to make it there for your big day. Because if you walk into this conversation with the mindset of, um, absolutely not. Like, are you crazy? This is so not awesome etiquette. Then and I'm not saying that's exactly what you're, you're, you're doing now. But if your brain goes to that place, you're more likely to give her kind of a rude or questioning, like, how could you even ask this type response? But I think if what you're really thinking of is, oh, my gosh, she's making efforts to get here and including other people, but no, she can't invite them. Let's focus on, oh my gosh, this is wonderful that you're going to be here. I'm so excited. Unfortunately, we can't accommodate any extra guests. I really hope you'll still be able to come and have a great time. There you go. It's like you you have to say the thank you and the encouragement for the efforts being made to get there to your event. A very clear, very distinctive, I'm sorry, but no, we can't accommodate. And then you recognize that it's the other person's choice then whether they still come or not at that point. There were impulses in me to want to accommodate these other people. Right. And to find a way to accommodate them. Maybe they can't come to the ceremony or can't come to the dinner, but maybe there's a reception or a party that's happening that they could come to. And that's I know that it starts to get into that parsing territory mm-hmm. of, well, they could come after this time when dinner's not being but served and the band's starting the to play or we've transitioned from the dining room to the mm-hmm. bar and reception and party area of whatever venue it is that we're going to be at. That's exactly it, is that you you do have the option of you don't have to invite these people to come to the kind of catered by, by head type count that you're dealing with when you're dealing with a a guest list. You don't have to invite them at all because you may not know them at all. And I do think that that's got to be kind of a thing. It's like if you know them and they just couldn't make the cut because you've got too many cousins or something like that, then I would consider inviting them to kind of the evening once. And again, just like what Dan's saying, it's kind of you could probably get away with them being there for the cake. But because often there's enough extra cake that they could be there for the cake cut. But really, after that cake cutting is like, The signal that any guest who has been invited can go home. To me, that's actually a really good time for kind of these extra type guests or people that you couldn't put on your guest list to say, hey, if you do want to come celebrate, we'd love to have you. We understand that we're asking you to come for the kind of end of the event, but it is the fun part, a very fun part of the event. If you're getting into that sort of more parsing territory where you're talking to someone, having a longer conversation, I think it's okay to share your reasons. I really liked your basic sample script. Thank them for making the effort. Be clear about what you can and can't accommodate. 
you can always mention something. The list is really tight. We couldn't even invite Aunt Janie. Or mm-hmm. if the reason is that that you've had to make limits and people would see people that you don't know there and you're really concerned that they would be hurt by that. Well, so-and-so didn't get invited. Why are these people here? Oh, I see what you're saying now. Okay, gotcha. I'm with you. I'm with you. If the reason is more along the lines of, well, actually, this this venue has a limit, a hard limit of number yeah. of people, and we've already pushed right up against the edge of it, or maybe we've even exceeded it, whatever that is, or we've used our three extra head spots that we had organized with the caterer. Those are hard limits that that really set parameters around what you can and can't do. And I think you can share that. You could say... We have this many seats at the table, and we just can't accommodate any more people. I, I wouldn't get too far down the road on that. I was going to say, because they don't actually – when it comes to inviting people, you don't need anything more than a no. Just like when you're accepting an invitation or rejecting it, you don't have to give a reason. But I like your idea that if you think it would be helpful, that that, that is something you could lean on if it's helpful and truthful. Nice but no. Thank you for this question that's kind of a twist on a classic that – would maybe inspire you to try to think about it a little bit more. I feel as if I ought to ask her. After all, she just lives down the street. You better make sure you haven't got too many on the list already. Mother said we only have room for 14. Well, I haven't nearly that many. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Our next question is titled, And a Gift? Hi, Dan and Lizzie. Asking for a friend. My friend is a talented calligrapher, and she will be doing the invites for her sister's wedding. Should she also give a gift? Her mom says she must also get her sister a gift, but she's already spending hours creating the invitations, which is a gift of time and love. What's appropriate? Thanks. So I have two questions about this question. Okay, ask them. The first, is it really for a friend? Oh, you can't. You got to just say it doesn't matter. (laughs) We get to just let our listeners, if they want to cover for themselves, they can. If they're actually asking for a friend, they can. So the answer wouldn't be any different. No. Second question. When the friend offered to do the calligraphy for her her sister's wedding, did she say, I'd be so happy. I'd love to give you a gift of doing the calligraphy for your invitations to you as a wedding gift. Okay, how many conversations between families do you know that are that explicit? <laughs> I'm just thinking that that would help. That No, you're absolutely I don't mean to undercut you. You're absolutely right that first saying I would love to do this as my gift for your wedding would be a great way to set yourself up. In the real world of families and life, I think it's super unlikely that this would happen. I think the more likely thing would be that they would offer to do it or that she would be asked to do it and say yes, and then later have to ask if this could be her gift. And then that's even more awkward because you're asking someone you're giving a gift to whether the gift you're giving is acceptable enough as a gift. Let's bear in mind, too. 
Calligraphy for wedding invitations can run thousands of dollars. Like if we're talking about a 150 person wedding, those could easily be $8,000 invitations right there. Like it's just not unheard of. That is a lot of hours of work. It's a lot of hours of work. It's also why a lot of people turned to getting their invitations printed or, you know, other methods. But it's a lot of work. And frankly, I'm I, I'm, I'm going to be a little judgy here. I'm going to put my opinion stamp on something. I think mom's being over the top. I think mom is not recognizing how much her one daughter is doing for the other daughter. And I think it's pretty inconsiderate for her to not be recognizing that. Now, my judgment's over. Now here's my like Libra brain kicking in, balance it out. We don't know. Maybe all of that has been there. Maybe there's been a lot of gratitude and recognition of this. And mom is still saying, it's your sister's wedding. Commemorate it with something sweet and nice and a gift. Get a little something, wrap it up, put a note on it. Not hard. Like, not hard at all. My sister told me, please don't worry about getting a gift. At various points throughout, she had said that to me. And she also knew that we as a bridal party were getting together to do a group gift. And so I knew I was fine being a part of the group gift. But I do think this is your friend's sister's wedding. And so I think that if they are close, I just think it's not unheard of for for family to give something that's a, a sweet kind of commemoration of the event. You could do a small vase. My favorite, as you all know, picture frame, an engraved picture frame with the date of the wedding on it. It is inexpensive, usually under $30, including engraving and sometimes even including shipping. And then it's also a gift that is uh, immediately usable. And that I think tends to last the test of time. I still see the picture frames I've given up in people's houses a decade after I've given them, whereas that salad spinner might have, you know, kicked the bucket at this point or something like that. Or those dish towels are probably gone or that spoon went down the disposal, you know. I want to affirm your Libra brain. (laughs) Thanks. I I definitely see the balance on both sides of this equation. I see that. Boy, this really is a huge thing that you're already doing. It's a big, big deal. Huge. And on the other side, the... It's not that hard to just get a little something. And the scales tip back and forth, back and forth. I would say make it clear that you're thinking of that as the gift if that's the route that you intend to go. Figure out a way to to, to personalize and connect that thought with your sister just so that there's clear understanding that, that that's the side of the scale that weighed out for you in this situation. Maybe you go the other way and you say if it really matters to mom that much. I can do a little something and families do an incredible amount to support each other when weddings are going on. And maybe you just say that's that's the way it goes this time that this is my above and beyond. I'm a really good sister on this one. Yes. Awesome, sister. I would also say that just in case your friend is dealing with budget issues and really doesn't have room in the budget for a gift for her sister at this point, um, I would suggest that maybe she try and do something using her calligraphy skills, do something um, that might be writing out the chorus to a beautiful love song or a small poem about love or just anything like uh, along those lines could be and then, you know, frame it or, you know, uh, some people do the like roll it up like a scroll and tie it with a beautiful ribbon. Something like that could be a way to do a gift 
But that's also very connected to the gift she's already giving of her time and effort right now. And I think that that might be a way to kind of satisfy and if there's a budget issue in mind here, use your time and your skill as opposed to throwing on an additional, you know, 15, 20, 50 dollar gift. I mean, whatever that range is, if, if that's part of the issue, I would say use that calligraphy skill for a gift. That is such an elegant solution to this particular question. It, it, it both provides that tangible gift, that thing that will help everyone remember this moment, and it's connected to, frankly, what's a, a very large and substantial gift as well that really – it connects those two ideas in a way that I think is quite beautiful. I like where you went with this one. Well, thank you, cousin. Anonymous, we hope that this helps and we hope that your friends – Hand has many hand massages in the future after this very amazing calligraphy work that she is doing for her sister. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates, comments, or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want your question or feedback on the show. Sustaining members, please remember to put sustaining members somewhere in your questions so we know it came from you. Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And this piece of feedback came in via text from a longtime listener who really appreciates it when we talk about server patron etiquette. It begins. Hello, and thanks for the great show. In regards to a partner or spouse ordering for the other, one piece of advice I offer is to never have that discussion of what will be ordered in front of the person who is helping you. Having worked in the service industry, there is nothing more awkward for a server or person taking an order at a fast, casual establishment than to listen to two people discussing what they want, meaning hearing the order dictated to the person who's placing the order (laughs) and then have the person ordering repeat that whole order again to you. It just makes everything weird as the person in the service industry just heard what was wanted. In addition, oftentimes orders are made to a person's tastes. It's hard for a server to have to ask, would you like that rare, medium, etc.? And then have the person ordering ask the other guest how they'd like it and then tell that back to the server. We're all there. The runaround is just a struggle for the person trying to give you the best service. In all honesty, unless you are the host of a group, as discussed, and the trusted orderer for the whole table, it makes your service person's life easier if you just speak to them directly. I really love this feedback, and this listener uh, also pointed out in a follow-up text that they often add patience to consideration, respect, and honesty. And I just wanted to include that I think that's a brilliant move. It's a nice addition to the kind of three principles. I like that. I like it too, and I love this idea of recognize that there's a third party there that might feel very third-partied if you kind of do this exchange in front of them and then... Respect for a server's time is a really important consideration in this. Restaurant work is quick, it's fast-paced, and it oftentimes good service depends on timeliness. Restaurants depend on being able to, to meet certain schedules with diners, whether it's cook times or reservation times. So it's, it's certainly a courtesy to keep in your mind as you figure out how to interact well with servers. 
Thanks for taking us to this frame of mind. <laughs> Our next piece of feedback comes from my friend Sue. No, my friend Sue. Your friend Sue. My friend Sue. <laughs> I always love this because Sue's a golfing buddy of mine. We recently played a tournament. She went to that wedding in Utah. And um, what was what's really fun is that Sue does a lot of driving. And Sue listens to Awesome Etiquette while she drives. And so what's really fun... No, not that guy. Dan's miming driving like a golf ball. She doesn't listen to it on the course. Maybe she does, but she listens to it when she's driving in her car. And um, that's very cute, cousin. Very cute. This is one of those places where I love Sue so much because she could tell me, oh my gosh, I was yelling at you guys in the car. No, 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 you had the wrong answer. Or, oh, I was cheering you on. Or I was laughing because I've had that happen to me. She really reacts and she really appreciates the the entertainment that the show brings her. But I appreciate that she can tell us. I don't always agree with what you say and we can still go have a really nice golf game too so this is sue's thoughts uh she wanted to weigh in on episode 190 where we answered a question about a host who loves to take care of everything for her guests and um sue had this super thoughtful thought for how to handle it when your host says to you no 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 i've got everything covered but you're the type of guest that would still like to bring something for the evening I have also found when someone has done this for me, so now I'm trying to do it more often, if they say, no, there's nothing you can bring, just bring yourself or whatever, and I'm feeling like I really need to do something, I think outside of the dinner party box, and I like to bring some little pastries or something for the host and hostess to enjoy the next morning because after a busy night, a fun-filled night and possibly a few days of work and prep for the party, to be able to relax the next morning with a cup of tea or coffee and a beautiful pastry, just, I don't know, there's something about that, ah, and then you sit and reminisce about the party. So just another avenue. Love you. Bye. Sue, thanks for calling in. It's so good to hear from a friend of Lizzie Post, who's also a friend of the show. (laughs) I like your idea about thinking outside the box. Thanks are so important. Gratitude's so important. Getting outside the same usual patterns is a great way to keep those ideas fresh and also significant and meaningful. Even if thinking outside the box brings you to a box, like a box of pastries or (laughs) once upon a time flowers came in a box, flowers work. There are lots of really nice things that you can do that aren't necessarily connected to that dinner that will definitely be appreciated. Sue, thank you so much for sharing. And thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. I got to say, I've been having a ton of fun texting with our listeners. It's time for our Postscript segment, where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's Postscript is a continuation of last week's Postscript. Yes, we are continuing with the story, the kind of legendary story and the more realistic story of how the book of etiquette came to be, how Emily came to be an etiquette writer. I have to confess I'm a little nervous about our reading this week. You did so well last week. You did such a good job reading this. (laughs) Thank you. 
Today's reading comes from Laura Claridge's biography of Emily Post, titled Emily Post. And it's from page 245, and the chapter is 39. Our story picks up after a dinner party where the idea of writing a book about etiquette had first been posed to Emily Post by a couple of her friends. Weeks after the dinner party, Crown and Shield called Emily again about writing an etiquette book, luring his friend with his erudite but breezy take on America's post-war needs. All those new war wives desperate to know how to write a thank you note. All those immigrants who had made it to our country before the rules tightened. All those new money people ashamed to admit they had no idea how to behave in society. Over the past decade, the country had also witnessed unprecedented numbers of rural American women, the purveyors of the nation's manners, moving to cities. He smoothly explained that he had taken the liberty of setting up a meeting between her and Richard Duffy, the new editor at Funkin' Wagnalls, who had been one of Emily's first supporters when he worked at Ainsley's. Crown and Shield also disparaged the present competition published by Doubleday, knowing he was appealing to Emily's prodigious vanity. Mm. The Doubleday book to which he referred was the two-volume Book of Etiquette, actually an old compendium newly spruced up by 19-year-old copywriter Lillian Eichler. The original version, written by Emily Holt, emphasized elaborate rules and petty details. Crowney explained, Recently, the publisher had sought to increase sales by underwriting a publicity campaign of monthly cartoons, advertisements depicting humiliating social blunders, especially those of young married couples and aspiring social classes. The offenders were shown ruining all future chances of success through their unwitting faux pas, born out of crass ignorance. Doubleday's ads infuriated Emily, who later remembered that they made me so blind mad that I couldn't see straight. She had grown up believing it wrong to shame others, a belief that had only strengthened with age. The myth of etiquette's origin is one of infinite delay, with Emily deciding only at the last minute to take on the project, almost, though she would never have said so, as a social obligation. Throughout the years, she would retell the genesis of etiquette as if she had been horrified at the idea Crown and Shield proposed, then appalled, even insulted, by this subject that he and Richard Duffy kept urging on her. Why would she be interested in telling people which fork to use? To write about such matters was beneath her. Just as bad, the subject was boring. Only when Crowney and Duffy convinced her that she would be serving the citizenry did she capitulate. Mm. With every recounting, etiquette's birth would grow more miraculous. The psychoanalyst Sue Erickson Bloland explains Emily's myth as typical of the famous... They came to me and made me do it. <laughs> Emily's later description of her friends begging her to write about manners is, of course, betrayed by the hard evidence of the letter she had written to Paul Reynolds nine years earlier. <laughs> she had beseeched her agent to arrange for her to write a monthly magazine column on the subject of etiquette. Emily Post should have known better than to commit such supplication to the archives. Two years later, she would pen these words as if she had learned her lesson. Remember that every word of writing is immutable evidence for or against you, and words which are thoughtlessly put on paper may exist a hundred years hence. <laughs> and they did, and Laura Claridge found them, and she poked such a delicious hole in our family lore. I love it. I love it. Despite Emily's late-life protestations that etiquette had been Foisted upon Foisted her. Foisted upon her. Oh, they just asked me so many times. I had to say yes. 
<laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I told them it was a relatively simple topic that I could narrow down to a few basic principles oh, yes, and concepts. Oh, yes, yes, You know, nothing big, you know. <laughs> we do tease our namesake. She must have been a really interesting lady. <laughs> she must have been. She must. And I think what it shows is that that she was human. That she was human. She was not someone who um, was immune to seeing herself in the light she wanted to see herself in. She wasn't someone who was immune to, to to all personality and emotion. She absolutely had them. And she had, you know, character traits that were, I don't know, I, I don't want to say... Less than perfect? <laughs> yeah, well, they were. They were less than perfect. But it, um, it, to me, I love it because it really humanizes her to me. And it, it humanizes the legend of how it came to be. And I think that that is always a good, good thing. I really appreciated Laura Claridge's approach to Emily Post as a personality. Yeah. That she presents her as someone flawed. Yep. There are references to the vanity as well as the self-deception. Yeah. But then there's also a sort of a caring and understanding to the portrayal that doesn't falter for what are very natural human foibles and and quirks. But there you have it. This is how etiquette came to be, is that originally Emily was looking for kind of a column on etiquette. And over the course of about a decade, she ended up being able to write the great tome of etiquette that we have today and that, that is in its 19th edition. When I had first heard the story of where this book came from, Mr. Duffy was a character that played very prominently in the family telling. Yeah, and I had never even heard of Crowning Shield. Yeah, this book introduces Crowny, who seems <laughs> like he was actually quite close to Emily and was a pretty major player in sort of drawing her into this particular endeavor. The other thing I really liked was the mention of the competition, the other books that were in play at the time. Mm. Writing etiquette books was something that was going on when in Emily Vogue. was writing. It was in vogue. Mm. And her book was was one of a number that actually did quite well, but it wasn't unique or singular in terms of its subject matter or even her particular approach. Yeah. Although she did end up as a bestseller. I mean, she really, she did something in her approach that was, even though this was going on with others at the time, she kind of came out came out raining a bit. I don't know what the what the sales numbers competing between like the Vanderbilt one and and, and Emily's or the the other other books the that Eichler were coming book out. Also. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um right, cuz that was an updated version. The one that they mentioned here in our reading was an updated version of kind of an older book that I would assume came from more of the Victorian times where there was a lot more to explain. I mean, Emily's book I I believe, and I could be wrong, was one of the first to really narrow down the scope of the table setting, right? I mean, she was at that era where we were changing from a utensil like that strawberry sifter from the other week um, for every single piece of food and way you could eat it down to something that's more practical and manageable for the everyday home. Definitely. And that evolution of her tradition over the first several editions of etiquette, I think, really does start to tell the story of why her etiquette was so lasting and why it continued to be meaningful and significant for such a broad audience. Yeah. It's just a really fun read, and we will continue to dive into it every opportunity we get. Dan, thank you for reading that today. To be continued. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we have a salute from Sarah, who had a wonderful salute about preparing to attend her first Indian wedding. I absolutely love the podcast, and I have an etiquette salute. 
Earlier this year, my husband and I were invited to an Indian wedding. As I'm sure you both know, this wedding had multiple celebrations spread out over multiple days. My husband and I had never been to an Indian wedding, and we didn't really know what to wear. We spoke to the bride and groom, and they were very reassuring and relaxed, telling us to wear whatever we felt comfortable wearing. But that didn't really sit quite well with us. We tried to find stores in Ottawa where we live that sell Indian clothing, but there weren't a lot of options. We remember that a friend on my husband's hockey team recently got married, and he's Indian. So my husband said he would speak with him. Within seconds of explaining, my husband's friend told us not to worry. He would have us over to his parents' house, and they would set us up with all the necessary clothes. Fast forward two weeks later, and we met with our friend's mother. She welcomed me so graciously into her home. She made snacks and tea for me. She laid out dozens of outfits and tried to help me select what looked best with my complexion and shoe choices. She even ironed the clothing, folded it with great precision, and wrapped it for me. She wanted it ready to go in my suitcase when I left her house. I should mention that I have a four-month-old son, and she was so taken with him. She snuggled him and cooed over him while I tried everything on. While I was there, our friend's mother mentioned to give the clothing to my husband to return at a hockey game when he sees our friend next. At the end of the visit, she said, Oh, please come back with the baby. We can have lunch and look at the wedding photos. After the wedding, I came back with the clothes, and we had a wonderful visit. She prepared food and poured over the photos of the wedding. She gushed over my baby, too. Looking back on this experience, I cannot tell you how welcomed I felt. It was so generous of her to lend me her beautiful clothing, a lot of it from India, to a practical stranger. I felt as if I had made a true friend, and I truly appreciate all she did for my husband and I. At the wedding, people remarked on what beautiful clothing we had, and it was all thanks to our friend and his wonderful family. Sarah, thank you so much for a salute that is very near and dear to me personally. It's really fun to hear about your experience of this. And thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can leave us a message or shoot us a text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. And I'm at Daniel underscore Post. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. You can help us out by becoming a sustaining member and getting extra content as well as an ads-free version of the show by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. You can also subscribe to our ads version of the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Where else Tune is it? In. Tune in. It's available everywhere or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a positive review. Our show is edited by the amazing Chris Albertine. Thank you, Chris. You have no idea the work that goes into the simplest party. Well, it's my party, and I'll ask whoever I want.